Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's November 5th, 2021. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Boy, we got a lot of news this week. Yeah, wow. it's like ebb and flowing out of Las Vegas in the World Series, right? Yeah. Lots one week and then nothing the next week and then lots the next week. So this is a lot week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just jump right in. Uh, we're more than halfway through the World Series of Poker. Here are this week's updates. Gershon Distenfeld, my new favorite name, by the way. That's a cool name. Uh, won event 48, the $1,500 shootout, and pledged to donate his $204,063 in winnings to various charities, just as he did with his winnings in last the last main event. Farzad Banyani won event 49, the 10K No Limit Deuce to 7 Lowball Draw Championship for his fourth bracelet. The event was the first of the series to draw more players than last year's event. Brian Rast won event 51, the 3K six-handed for his fifth bracelet. Robert McMillian won event 52, the 1K Seniors Championship. It was the fourth time he cashed in that event. Sean Deeb, your buddy, yep. won event 53, the 25K PLO Championship for his fifth bracelet and his second in the event and still has not paid crisp. <laughs> uh, ben, you won event 56, the 10K six-handed championship for his fourth bracelet. Sensing a trend here, folks. Yeah, geez. Brian Yoon won event 57, the 10K Deuce 7 Triple Draw Championship for his fourth bracelet and his first in a non-Hold'em event. Doyle Brunson made his first appearance this year, Chris, in Event 58, the 1K Super Seniors. Wow. Michael Graydon, who di- was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer seven months ago, tweeted for help in raising money to buy into this year's main event and quickly raised enough to cover his entire buy-in. And our good friend Phil Helmuth unleashed his second major rant of the series, this time on Twitter. Somebody at Poker News won that contest. <laughs> Criticizing the uh, WSOP Player of the Year scoring that he says gives too much credence to cashing in events instead of making final tables, as he does. Of course. It's what it, it, the only reason why he'd argue for it is because it only helps him. <laughs> what I like most about what you just read is that I go through and edit it for you, and yet you still put in all the words that don't need to be there. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. It's like he's putting in words that aren't even there because I took him out, but he just memorizes how he writes these things. Um, one thing I want to say is I found this interesting. Last week on the show, we were talking about if anyone would catch Phil Hellmuth, you know, and all that. And when Sean Deeb won, I don't even think he was asked this question, but he might have been. But the quote yeah. that was with the release was totally, I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch yep. him easily. Do you see how many times I'm winning and all these things? You know, it was paraphrasing, but I mean, he basically was saying that he's going to be the one that catches Phil Hellmuth, even though, you know, right, it's like right on cue. When we asked that question last week, here he is answering it for us. Well, maybe he still listens to the show just to be, keep tabs on his running tab. Yeah. That's yeah, sad. if I had the VIG running, he'd owe me like eight grand right now. <laughs> I mean, serious. 
But, you know, yeah, so to his point, though, I mean, he's young enough and he's playing at such a high caliber right now. Uh, I mean, it's possible. You know, that's why we had a discussion last week, right? So just depends on how how crazy uh, Phil goes, you know, in these last 20, 30 years he has. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's possible. Yeah. A lot of big names again this week. Uh, You know, and it's funny that they all won, a lot of them won their fourth bracelet. But uh, Brian Rast, that's somebody I thought could catch him, too. He's young enough, I think. He plays all the games. He's obviously a great pro, great player. He's got 5-2. He's yep. somebody that could catch him. Um, but uh, a lot of big names and a lot of multiple bracelet winners this week. It's crazy. Yeah, what was that? Uh, three or four, four four bracelet winners and two five-bracelet winners yep. uh, this past week. That's crazy, right? Yep. If they added, even if they just averaged one a year or one every other year and they're only 11 or 12 away, I mean, in 20 years they could have them, you know? Absolutely. It's possible. Very possible. Um, so, yeah, so we've had one event now that's outdrawn what it was the last series. Um, and that was that Deuce to Seven one I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that only had 120 entrants, <laughs> by the way. It had uh, 93 the last time. So that's uh, probably a statistic anomaly, right? Yeah, that's not shocking that all the other ones are still lagging. I mean, there's still a lot of people who didn't come here or can't come here or whatever, so it's not surprising. Yeah, we knew it was going to be down. It looks like um, the the article I read is it's down 30% uh, from the last full event. So, um, Which, you know, I think is probably kind of in line with what we probably thought, um, yeah. both in terms of the uh, – um, the travel bans uh, for foreigners and uh, and then the vac status for those. So, yeah. Um, and I, I'm not, I can't remember the math now, but I'm like, if you do 30%, uh, we're probably going to overshoot on our, uh, yeah. our event predictions, aren't we? Because I, I, I'm pretty sure mine was factored in 5%. So. Yeah, although they did add two more shifts or whatever, right? Two more and flights. Then the travel bans are lifted before then, so we might have an outside chance. Yeah, so yeah. Well, hitting that mark. So. <laughs> See, this is why gambling is so fun. Uh, yeah, so, and then, uh, obviously, a feel-good story with this Michael Graydon getting a chance to play in the main event. Um, yeah. It's terminal concern, and, and, and literally, I could have listed, there were like four of these articles this week of, of people buying in, either buying in people or fundraising for folks that, that uh, either had a loss this year or have a health concern or something like that, so... Uh, once again, the poker community can be extremely dangerous. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, finally a good story. You know, more crap. You know, and uh, I'm not going to defend uh, Mr. Helmuth here, um, but uh, aren't all Player of the Year scorings open to criticism, no matter what they are? Sure. Uh, even like you know, I was talking to a friend this week. Uh, you know, high school football, uh, both here in Florida and also in Ohio where I grew up, uh, are, are based on ratings now, um, not, uh, records, you know? So there are two and seven teams playing in the Ohio high school football playoffs right now because wow. they just a really difficult schedule. Right. And then of course now we have the, the college championship uh, with Cincinnati getting screwed right now and all that too. Right. So, um, it, all these things are, are ripe for uh, criticism because there's just no not a perfect system. So I guess you know, obviously his argument is that uh, making a final table is better than cashing, which I think we could all agree. Um, but you know, I, I keep thinking. I think of uh, you know Tony Cousineau. We keep talking about right. You yeah. know, he he had a strategy of cashing. That's what he did. He cashed more than anybody. Didn't win anything ever, <laughs> but he cashed in so many events. So it is a strategy on what you want. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, he might have a beef there. Um, hey, he was our player of the year. 
That's right, he was. Right, because he cashed on many times, and he was from Florida, and we put him on the cover. Yep. Um, but, yeah, you're right, everything, everything is, uh, there was a saying, or I don't know if it was a saying, or somebody, it might have been somebody on on uh, television, but they were talking about, no matter what you do, oh, I know what it was, it was the, um, I was, oh, you know what I was finally watching? <laughs> Sorry, my mind is going all this place, but I, I finally, no, no, but I finally got around to watching Making a Murderer. Oh yeah, yeah. Because oh well, because it was 2018, and I was into Game of Thrones then, and I had other stuff going on, and I never got around to it, and I forgot about it. Well, now I'm just now I'm experiencing all the, you know, you know, just emotions of it and being yeah. pissed off. And but they they interviewed uh, on a lawyer on there, and he was like, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to be criticized, so you might as well do it right. Was basically yeah. the quote. And so that's the same thing, is you try to do whatever you think is right with these scoring things, and then you're going to get criticized no matter what you do anyway. Um, and I don't know, what is more impressive, making three final tables or caching ten times? You know, I, I think caching is harder than making a final table overall. If you make one final table in 20 tournaments, or you cache way better than the expected 10% and cache ten times instead of two times, that seems to me more impressive, especially if you get a final table in there or something. It's hard to it's hard to really weigh. It's all all uh, what uh, I don't know. It's hard to be objective about it. Yeah, I mean it'd be interesting, and, it, and this is kind of skewed because pros are well. I mean, name pros are are well. Obviously, there's a reason they call them name pros rather than pros, right? Yeah. So, but it'd be interesting at the end of the series just to do a random Jay Leno street walking. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. As hey, who do you think was the player of the year at the World Series this year? And that would give you um, a better sense, right, of uh, just who's been reading the headlines and what they think. And that is going to be uh, obviously people that have won, because that's who you talk about. You don't talk about hey, see Chris Casenza cashed uh, 128th in that World yeah. Series start. Yeah, right. You know, you, you just don't see that, right? So, um, but that doesn't mean it's not impressive that there are some people out there doing it. And yeah, his criticism included people. I mean, no, no one's going to win the Player of the Year by not um, making final tables. I mean, it's just it's impossible. I mean, you can cash every every event and and not get enough points. So, his point is a little bit skewed as well, too. So, I mean, the people he's complaining about have made final tables. They just haven't made as many as he has, and and don't have a bracelet like he does this year. Um, but they're just cashing him more. So. I don't know. It, it, it just seems like he wakes up every morning looking for something to complain about. So. Yeah, yeah. Or at least something if it doesn't help him to complain about. Yes, you know. Exactly. If they said, oh, we're going to change the system and whatever you do makes you player of the year, he'll be happy. He won't say a word. We should give him credit, though, for not burning down the Rio, though. So. <laughs> That's true. That's he's, true. He's probably only doing that because he wants to win the player of the series. And, you know, if they if they end it now, he's not going to be at the top. So. <laughs> and I'm, I'm starting to think, too, that's the only way they'll ever move the World Series out of the Rio. Because <laughs> every year it's like, oh, they're selling the Rio and it's going to Caesars. Or, you know, and every year it's at the Rio. Yeah, yep. So burn it down and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, Phil Ivey launched his new NFT items, which included a custom shoe from Dominic, the shoe surgeon Chambrone. Chambrone previously created a gold-studded $100,000 shoe for LeBron James. Bidders can also own, in quotes, a hand played between Ivy and Tom Dwan and a chance to fly to Vegas to play in a high-stakes game. Ivy was non-committal on whether he played, uh, whether he will play a World Series event this year. As of that point, he had not yet. Uh, and as of this morning, I saw an article that was like, NFTs are disappearing, and we don't know why. <laughs> Gee, I'm shocked. 
You mean you can't protect it? Something for their money. <laughs> it's not in your electronic wallet or whatever the hell they call these things. And you, maybe you misplaced your electronic wallet. I don't know. But, I mean, it's serious. These NFTs, I had this huge discussion at the national show for the Bonsai convention that I went to in September in New York with this kid who was starting these NFTs for bonsai trees. And so, like, you know, you take a picture of the tree and then that digital image is now preserving the tree in time and there's only one shot of that tree at that precise moment in time. And this All right, is, that's interesting. And I'm like, I'm like, who, who cares? If you don't <laughs> own the actual tree, why is the image of the tree more valuable than the actual tree? And so we had this huge conversation <laughs> and he's building his whole business on this. Like it was his whole entire business. And I was just like, uh, you know, I don't mean to, you know, ruin your entire business or whatever, but you know, this is pretty ridiculous. And, and everybody at the table was kind of like, like everyone else, there's deer in headlights at this time right now, and they're still trying to understand NFTs and everything. But um, again, like this shoe one, how do you create a shoe that's an NFT? Well, yeah, I think you actually get the shoe as, if you're the high bidder for the NFT, which again, going back, this is what I, at the beginning when we start talking about this, because there are other things where um, you can go out and you get an experience in addition to it. That makes sense to me because now at home, if I'm interested in that experience or that that physical item, I'll be happy to bid on that all day long. But I, I'm not going to bid on this this stupid photo. Right, <laughs> right, right. Sweet. So it's really only working, as far as I can tell, and I could be wrong. Um, it seems to be only working when you attach something physical to it. And at that point, let's just sell the physical one. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't get here. It's called an NFT. Here, it's here. called a shoe. It's called a high stakes game invitation. Let's <laughs> so, oh so Scott's Scott's like walked his morning walk and he's gone twenty miles and he's dying of thirst. And I walk up to him and I have an ice cold can of Paps Blue Ribbon, or I have a picture of an ice cold can of Paps Blue Ribbon. Which one is Scott going to give me ten bucks for? <laughs> Let me see. Which one's more valuable, the actual can that he can drink from or the picture of the can, you know? And I know we sound ignorant by saying it this way. And I, it's not that I don't get it. I do get it. It's just silly to me. I, yeah, it's yeah, it just yeah. is. Yeah. So so the other interesting thing about this article was that when it first was um, – Poker News first posted it, it was David Copperfield's mansion. And how excited they were and how there was no NDA signed and blah, blah, blah. And then now that's scrubbed everywhere. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I don't know what's going on there. I'm not making any assumptions. I just – I think it was – because I was uh, amazed when I saw uh, David Copperfield's mansion. Um, but then uh, then that, no, that doesn't exist. <laughs> so I don't know whether it was never David Copperfield's mansion or whether David Copperfield literally made that disappear. <laughs> He did make the Statue of Liberty disappear once, so yeah, the dude's got powers. So <laughs> I, I can I could tell you an interesting story about that someday if you want, not on the show because it's just not worth it. But uh, my father-in-law before he died was a world, maybe a world famous magician. Yep. He was in all the the major uh, magical groups and stuff, the IBM, the Circle of Magic, all those things. But uh, I'll tell you a story about that off air someday. Pretty good. But what, what I want to talk about now is. If you were Phil Ivey, would you ever play in a tournament in this country again? Like, you know, if you owe all that money, why would you just play for them then? Why would you even play? 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, he, he, he it's very clear that he is um, focused on other ways of making money now off his fame. And, you know, credit to him. That's fantastic. That's what you get to do. So, yeah, you know. Well, the other know, thing is you really, truly test the pro theory of, oh, I don't play for the money. I play for the rings or I play for the bracelets. Okay, well, go ahead. You're not going to get any money, so go play for free and win those bracelets. Yeah. It really, what does he have to play for? He's already in the Hall of Fame, right? Uh, so, I mean, uh, I mean, sure, yeah, I guess he could. I forget how many bracelets he has. If yeah, he's, I think it's ten or eleven. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, <laughs> he he could be he could threaten Helmuth if he wanted to. But I mean, honestly, look at look at Helmuth's life now. This guy is just so fixated on these bracelets that he is driving himself crazy, right? Yeah. His rants are are ridiculous and you know i think it's just because he's he's under the stress that he's putting under himself there's no one out there you know putting him under stress to win his 16th bracelet or 17th bracelet or 18th bracelet right it's, it's all him yeah. so it's interesting when you you can pull yourself out of that world and and people don't need it anymore so yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. and i don't know whether that's what's going on with phil if it, it's really just that he's frustrated that he can't play because he, you know he would have to pay the money back or if he just says, hey i don't need it anymore <laughs> my right. life is not, right right doing a vanessa soaps just walking away and you know doing something else so i don't know yeah, we'll see all right, uh, here's this week's update on Poker Room reopenings in Kansas. Hollywood Kansas Speedway will reopen as December 9th. And in West Virginia, Wheeling Island Hotel Casino Racetrack reopened as Poker Room. That gets us to 284 reopened Poker Rooms in the United States. And remember to go to antiupmagazine.com slash reopen to get all those details. And uh, email us at editor at antiupmagazine.com if you have updates. And that's where we get most of these updates. So I appreciate it. That's where the Hollywood Kansas Speedway came this week. So. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, any updates? Papes, the Antiup Fans free online tournament series on PokerStars Play Money sites available everywhere. Details on how to join can be found at bit.ly slash P-A-I-P-S. Games are on the 6th, 16th, and 26th every month and rotate disciplines with a main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours. Join the Antiup Fans group uh, on Facebook and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call to four questions, or just discuss anything poker. Check out our 11 vintage Antiup logo designs on merchandise at antiupmagazine.com slash shop. Buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and more with your choice of Antiup Magazine, Antiup PokerCast, or Antiup PokerTotal logos. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or post in the Antiup Fans group on Facebook. We get to complete Nomali's move today, which is so exciting, so we're going to play part one for it to refresh our memories, and we'll see you on the other side. Here it comes. And welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a $1, $2 deep stack no limit hold'em home game. The min buy-in is $200, max is $500, but most players buy in for the max. It plays more like a 2-5 game. We are six-handed. The blinds post, and we are under the gun with 700, up 200, and the seven of diamonds, six of diamonds. We limp. The MP folds, but everybody else calls. There's $10 in the pot, and the flop is the 9 of hearts, 8 of hearts, 5 of spades. The small blind and big blind both check, and it's up to us. We've just flopped the nuts, but there is a flush draw, higher straight draws, and potential sets that could fill up. No matter what, I never slow play a flop straight. 
We overbet the pot and make it $15 to go. The cutoff calls, but everybody else folds. The cutoff is a pretty decent player, but he can get tricky. He bought in for $500 and sits with a round of starting stack. There's now $40 in the pot and the turn is the deuce of spades. The backdoor spades are coming in, but we still have the nuts. We make a $30 bet and our opponent quickly calls. There's now $100 in the pot and the river is the queen of diamonds. Let's go for some value here. We make another $30 bet. This time our opponent counts out 100 and slides it into the pot. So, did he catch us? What's the move? Damn, this really feels like Jack-10 got there. Uh, however, our straight should be a well-disguised here, so a fair chance we are still good here. They're definitely not confident enough to raise, but I will call. Yeah, you know, all your points are valid. That's. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't cut I, out. I know, I'm sorry. That, that was perfect. I, I think that's uh, exactly <laughs> what I would say, so uh, I guess I'll call, too. Here comes part two. Hello again. Did Jack-10 run us down here? That's literally the only hand we're losing to. He was calling quickly. Could he have missed a flush draw? I think we're ahead here, but I can't get Jack-10 out of my mind. We call. Our opponent tables the five of hearts, five of clubs for a flopped set. We show our straight and rake in the pot. This led to some discussion about my call on the end being bad and I left value on the table. What do you think? Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying I never slow play flop straights. You just never know what could end up happening. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, with the benefit of all the knowledge we have now, yes, we left value on the table by not raising. Our straight was well disguised, as we thought. Uh, but that jack-10 is such a real possibility that the call was the most prudent decision, I think. Yeah, you know, I don't think if you make the raise that you'd want to make on based on that bet, if you really were going to raise, you'd probably be like 300 bucks. And I, I don't think a set's going to call there. I think they're going to realize they're, they were beat, especially if they replay the hand in their heads. So I think it's a good call. I mean, I, you know, the only way you make a raise there and – you know, is to know they have something that might be able to call, and you can't be confident enough they don't have Jack-10. So um, I like it. I like the call, and I think that's what was the right thing to do. Yeah, that's a spot where that river really cost us, because if that river wasn't that, that queen. Right. Because um, it just made it made it seem like that Jack-10 was possible. Yeah. Um, yep. Story. So yep. I mean, you got you to consider the stuff that's, that's probable, and Jack-10 was super probable there, even though that wasn't the actual holding. So yeah, Absolutely. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertrading.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't something, something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And our good friend John Urban, he's provided us two quality hands already. He's got two more. So we'll see whether he can keep running the table here. And uh, remember, all these hands are from a 1-3 no-limit game at a Maryland casino. All right, this is the very next hand after last week's hand. Oh. And he starts with 780 Skittles. Uh, the other gun, who he describes as a loose passive player who seems to lack experience, raises to 11. Uh, under the gun plus one calls, and we are in the under gun plus two with the ace of clubs, tray of clubs. Uh, well, these are the hands that you, you wouldn't mind just taking a flyer on. We obviously... Uh have a decent amount of money in front of us now, and uh, I don't mind limping. I, I don't know. There, There is a case to be made for raising and representing and, and whatever, um, but the guy is loose, and he, maybe he's inexperienced, so he might not understand what you're doing or might understand what the implications are of, of somebody raising a few spots behind him 
So these are the types of hands where I just call, and then if somebody goes crazy, I'm like, ah, it cost me 11 bucks or whatever. But I took a chance to try to flop the nut flush or flush draw or two pair or a wheel. And uh, I, I don't dislike this hand, but I don't. With people behind me that are in position still available, if I raise and then they call, now they're in position on me. If they re-raise, I've wasted 30 bucks. So, um, you know, I feel like uh, if, if I knew the people behind me were kind of uh, passive, I would probably just limp and hope for a nice flop. Yeah, this is definitely a hand that you could easily fold if you want to, um, easily call with if you want to. The raise, I think, is a little... Uh, it's probably the the worst of the three options, I think. But um, it, it's a hand that has a lot of flop potential, as you mentioned. You can flop uh, both a straight and a flush with it, or um, even a straight flush, right? <laughs> right. Um, your kicker sucks, of course. Um, it, it seems like this this game there raises every every hand, so you can't play too tight. You're going to have to, you know, get in there and play with with some cards that aren't perfect. Um, so if I feel fairly confident that it's not going to be raised behind me, then I'm definitely calling here. If I feel that there's a, a good chance of a raise behind me, I don't think I want to pay more than $11 to see this flop. Um, in that case I'd fold, but, uh, I, I don't like the raise here. So but. right, you said pretty much exactly what I just said. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Your points are all valid. You could have done a Patrick Swayze and said, ditto. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm not like the wind though. Oh uh, man. Oh, believe me, I've shared a hotel room with you. You are like the wind. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so over here it says all three options are on the table here. Against more disciplined players, I see merit in raising, but there are still several players left to act, and I'm at a loose table facing an under-the-gun open. So bluff raise doesn't seem too attractive. If this was a tighter table, I'd fold here since the ROI wouldn't be enough. But at this loose table, I call. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I think... It, we're probably saying the same thing. Uh, the only reason he, I think he's putting three options on the table are because he's right. If, they, if the game was different, you would consider a raise here. And I would definitely consider a raise in a different game. But <laughs> the way this game is described, I, I don't think a raise is really an option. So. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, the button on Big Blind also calls. So five of us uh, go to the flop with a pot of 50 bucks after the casino's cut. Flop is the king of spades, jack of spades, jack of clubs, and it checks to us. Wow. Yeah, I can't bet. I got guys behind me calling in position, and we've missed this absolutely completely. Almost completely, yep. You, no matter what you do, you can't make the nuts, you know? Yep. And, and no matter what you do, you're probably splitting a pot or losing a pot to a kicker if somehow if you hit your card. Uh, I just don't, I don't see it, you know? If you hit ace, you have aces and jacks with a king kicker, so you might chop, but then someone else might have, you know, ace-king. You know, who knows? But there's not a lot of raising here. So this is just a horrible, horrible flop for us. Um, I'm checking behind and folding to any bet. No, well, there's one club, so it has to go runner-runner clubs, and you still can't be confident because the board's paired. Yep. I mean, no thanks. I'm done with this hand. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm done with this hand, but I'm not voluntarily putting money in first here. So I'd like to see what happens here, but the easy check here for me. Yeah. All right, our, our hero agrees. He says, no sense betting into four players here. I have a backdoor flush draw, but it's too likely someone got a piece of this. I check. It checks around. Jeez. Uh, the turn is the eight of clubs. So the board now is king of spades, jack spades, jack of clubs, eight of clubs. And the under the gun, who was the original raiser, bets 20. And the player in between us calls. And now it's on us. 
Oh, I don't know. I realize that we've picked up a flush draw, but it's like not the nut flush draw because straight flush is still possible. And it doesn't matter. Your flush could still be dead. You could be drawn dead to your flush. So, you know, I I just don't know. I I guess I'm going to call the 20, but I don't want to. And I'm not going to get really invested in this hand on the river. I'll tell you that. You know, even if a club comes, you know, somebody could just flop the boat on us, you know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I guess I've made so much money right now that I'm up a bunch that another 20 bucks really isn't that. And I shouldn't really think of it that way. I shouldn't really, you know, should still play optimally, but you got two callers. So there was 50 before. Now there's 90 in the pot total. You, so you, you know, nine to two. So 20, I don't know, five to one almost. So I don't know. I guess I call, but it's, it's a loose call with a lot of caution. I'm not entirely sure that it's not optimal to call here. Um, you know, we can't play hands individually. I mean, I know that's how we do it on the show. We talk about one one hand, right? But um, in a session, when you're having a very good session, and it sounds like John is having a great session here, you've got more bullets, right? You've got more money. Um, so you, you're able to take a couple more chances than if you were sitting on $60 here, right? So, right. So, you know... In a vacuum, yes, it's probably not optimal to call here, um, considering the entire environment of the day and the situation. It might be closer to optimal, but uh, but yeah, it is dangerous here because we still have to hit a card. We have nothing right now, and as we've said all hand, if even we hit the hand, we don't know that it's it's good, and we still have players behind us to act here. So I mean, the, the check around on the flop does means nothing, right? Uh, because if you hit this hard, you're not betting, and if you missed it, you're not betting. So right, we don't right. know what it is. And then, obviously, the proper thing to do after a really scary flop like this is to be the first one to bet to represent that you had it and you didn't bet, right? Right. So we we honestly don't know where we are in this hand. And the fact that that under the gun was the original Razor, I know he's loose passive, he's described as, so maybe that's a, a warning sign for us, but... You know, a jack uh, or a pair of kings in his hand are, are very likely, right? So, it's funny that they call the guy loose passive. First of all, loose passive is just another word for calling station. Yeah. And yet, this person raised preflop and now is bet out. So he's pretty aggressive right now in the sense that yeah, he's not overly aggressive, but he's made the two, you know, alpha male moves in this hand that no one else has made. Um, so I really don't know what to think of that either. Uh, to me, I mean, if we had Brent on the show, our friend Brent, friend Brent Philman, you know, he he knows everything about poker. He knows everything about math, you know, or Vic G. Even you know, the, these guys, I think, could still. I don't, I don't think it needs necessarily be a vacuum. I I when I talk about I've won a bunch of money and I like to speculate. That's preflop stuff. Once I get into the hand, I still want to make sound mathematical money decisions. Yeah. And yeah. in this case, I guess it's okay, but that paired board makes me think. Okay, I'm I'm making what might be a loose call mathematically, but I'm going to be cautious about it. Even if I make the flush, I'm not going to lose my stack with the flush and a paired board. And with everyone checking around after the flop, it could very well be that someone has a boat and flopped a boat or had three of a kind and rivered a boat. You know, so I'm just going to be cautious, but I'm still going to be like a little loose with my call. Yeah, um, yeah, it, I don't know. It, the other thing too is we, we've invested eleven dollars in this hand. Um, 
you know, I've become a much more disciplined player over the years, and uh, you know, I'm still splashing around on the Poker Stars free every once in a while. I, I got to get back on papes. I really do. I promise I'm going to do that sometime. Yeah. But splashing around, but but I've gotten better at folding these hands and then watching that river come and not be a club and go pat myself on the back, right? So yeah, yeah. once in a while, it's, that club's going to come, and then you know everybody's going to turn over the cards, and your flush was going to be good here, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, you guys are idiots. Uh, but more times than not, that that card is not going to come in, or it comes in, and we're going to lose. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I really don't think that uh, we need to chase here. So uh, obviously it's hand of the week, so I'm going to guess we are going to chase. But you know, got 11 bucks in. There's going to be another hand coming up. So uh, all right, our hero says, well, it's not usually a great idea to chase flushes on paired boards. Twenty dollars into a pot of ninety dollar uh, ninety dollars uh, is a pretty good price, and I'd have position on these players. I call. Uh, now he does have position on those players, but we got uh, right got people behind you, yeah. yeah. So, uh, all right, well, the button does fold, so that uh, that works out. Uh, the big blind calls, and apparently, I guess everybody else. Uh, did as well too. Uh, well, that's well. We had a bet and a call, and then we called, and the other guys are called. So that's oh, the four out of five. Yeah, we called. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I'm sorry. I, I was I was on this idea that we were raising for some reason, which would have been horrible. But all right. So yeah. So uh, so 170 in the pot going in the river, which is the seven of clubs. Of course it is. So our final board is king of spades, jack of spades, jack of clubs, eight of clubs, seven of clubs. We hit our running flush. The other gun bets 30. The guy in the middle, uh, in between us, raises to 150. Ugh. Uh, see, that's the thing. Now, was he, because he, he, let's just, we always end up getting to the end of the hand and then going back, but let's go back for a second. This plus one guy, or whatever he is, mm-hmm. right? He calls a raise pre-flop, right? He checks the, t- the flop, he calls a bet on the turn, and then he makes a big bet here, a big raise here on the end. It doesn't feel like he has a flush, because he knows he doesn't have the nuts and the board's paired, what could do that with multiple people in the hand and not be afraid? I mean, only a boat an, or a, an ignorant set, you know, or trips or whatever you want to call it. So yep. I don't know. It's hard to fold this, but, you know, that's that's tough. This is tough. Yeah, no, I think you made a good point that this guy, if, if he flopped the boat here, he played it exactly like you would flop a yep. flop, right? You, yep. you check that flop, and then when somebody bets, you know, you don't, let the jig be up yet. You call, let him walk, give him some leash. And then uh, knowing that he has to act before you on the next street, right? I mean, that's always the danger is if, you, if you're if you out of position, you check this, going to get checked around. No danger here because, you know, he's either going to bet or check and then you, you're you going to bet. So he went in and bet and now he raises, uh, you know, to get his value out of this hand. Um, so the only thing that's weird about this is the size of the raise. Yeah, what what did the guy bet originally? I forgot. At thirty, and we ra- he raises to one fifty. So if we're sitting on uh, the nuts or the second nuts, which would be like you know, king's full here. That seems like way too big of a bet to expect value, even from four people in this hand. I think maybe a raise to a hundred is probably what I would do there. Yeah. So you think he? Well, what do you think? If he's bluffing, so like, trying to bluff yeah, five people or four people. That's what I'm wondering. I mean, it's not not a, not a great plot, not yeah, not a great hand to be bluffing here. I don't think because obviously this under the gun player. Um, again, as you're right, we 
boil down the description of him in his calling station. So, you know, it's going to be really hard to bluff him off. Now, maybe that's the reason that the, the bet's so big is that's the only way you get a calling station not to call is to make it too big for them to call. But but then you got to like, factor in the, um, the, the value of getting other people involved in this hand still. So... Uh, I don't know. It's it's a weird size bet for me. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm more likely to call. I I, I think I'm done here. I mean, I don't want to. Again, we invested eleven on a on a, a a bad hand out of position for because of its potential, and now we're going to end up losing uh, what thirty one uh, two hundred almost two hundred. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I can do it. I mean, I, yeah, I I'm going to kick myself if I fold and they turn over Ace King or something here. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It it just doesn't doesn't seem like a good call here. No, think. all the books. When you read the books, when you first learn to play poker, they always tell you when they caution you that it's easier to bluff one person than it is two. In this case, it's three other people. This guy would have to. He's bluffing three people with that bet. Yeah, there's still people left to act. In this yeah, game. there's still people left to act, and he doesn't. If he's bluffing, he doesn't know that we didn't slow play our kings full or our jacks full of kings or quad jacks or whatever the hell it is that we have. So for him to make that bet with two people left to act behind him is is not an easy or one person, I guess, because we're the third. So one person left. Um, no, two, right? Us and then the... the, the oh, no, there's the, only... No, the big blind's still in. The big blind checked. So the big blind still has to act after this. Okay, so I think I think that's the, the key, is that there's multiple people behind him still yet to act. I don't think he thinks he can bluff three people. So in my mind, he's got it, and he's, like you said, playing on the calling station of the original Razor that he might call this bet with his ace-king. You know, or something. So, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go with my gut and the fact that it's hand of the week. And I don't think John can go on a heater like this. I think that he would lose his hand for some reason. It just feels that way, too. So, based on that bet, based on the multiple people in the pot, based on the guy being a calling station, I'm going to fold. Yeah, and, and the other thing you have to keep in mind, too, is that uh, the son of the gun could raise. Yep. I mean, He's as you mentioned, he's been the alpha male up until now. So I mean, there's no reasonable expectation that this guy's just going to fold or just call. I mean, if he feels strong enough, he might re-raise. And already 150 seems a lot for me to put in this pot, but I'm not going to put 300 <laughs> into right. this pot. And at that point, if he raises, I mean, what expectation do we have that we are good? Yeah, we're screwed. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm gonna let this go, and I'll, I'll I'll mutter under my breath if if it was good, but uh, I don't know. There, there's just too much danger here, Will Robinson. Yeah, I would rather lose thirty one dollars and learn a lesson to not even play this hand from the beginning, or you know, what I mean, then then lose my whole stack to oh yeah, he did have a boat, oh yeah, he did have quads or or whatever. So um, I would rather lose thirty one right now than regret it. You know, yeah, it's going to be a big pot if you ended up having the best hand, but it just feels, and you put all the information together and the story together, I can find a few stories that beat us uh, the way this is played, and that's too many for me. Yep. All right, our hero says, my love of the river quickly faded when I saw a bet and a raise in front of me. Yuck. I doubt either player's bluffing here. Both showed interest on the turn and continued betting with four players left on the river. So if they're not bluffing what types of hands love this board, yet check the flop. Ace, uh, Ace of Clubs, Queen of Clubs, or Ace of Clubs, Ten of Clubs is impossible since I have the Ace of Clubs. 
The original racer could easily have pocket kings or pocket eights and possibly even quad jacks. With his inexperience, though, he may also just have a good jack and expect it to be good. The other gun plus one player seems even stronger. He raised a player who clearly had a hand with two other players behind him who also showed interest. King Jack 8877 and flushes all seemed likely. However, with my two clubs and his nearly pot size bet, I thought it weighted him to having a boat, and I thought there's a good chance at least one of them had a had a boat. After a minute or two of deliberation, I painfully folded. Yeah, right. I don't I don't disagree with it. He made some good points there that, you know, kind of reiterated what we were talking about. You know, and but the way he said it, it sounds like they don't have a boat, but I'm hoping they do. We made a good fold. He says, uh, result, the big blind folded, the under the gun called. Gone showed ace jack for trips, and the under gun plus one showed nine of clubs, four of clubs for an inferior uh, flush. After seeing how loose his player was pre-flop and how these players overvalued the hands, I regretted my fold. Well, again, that's results-oriented. Right. I think you made all the right points that we made as to why folding was a good uh, move there. Um, so, you know, now you got education, right? So now we know that this is a really loose game and with players that really don't understand what's going on here. Um, I mean, that 9-4, I mean, maybe that's why that raise was so big was to, I mean, it, it worked, right? It worked in getting the better flush out. So can't necessarily criticize them, but. Yeah, I mean, I've done that. Like, you do that a lot in stud. You know, you raise to make them get the better hand out because you know you could beat the inferior hand on your right. Yep. You know, but the left hand is a weaker player, and he might fold to a bigger bet. You know, so I've done that in stud. It's harder to do it and hold him so much, but in this case, it was a perfect storm. And the thing about it too is, you can't find the fault in the nine four until you go pre flop. Pre flop, I can't understand under the gun plus one calling a raise with nine four clubs. I mean, That's we how you know how loose he is. Ace of clubs, right? Exactly. So, I mean, the nine four clubs. After that, everyone checks around that flop. We all. You know, if that guy doesn't check his jacks, if he bets out because he realizes he has multiple opponents and he should probably get paid off, someone should probably have a king there, then he gets that guy 9-4 out and he wins this pot. He probably gets us out. Instead, they all check around. The 9-4 gets to see the turn and pick up his flush draw. Um, but, you know, it's it's not a bad fold in my mind. It's the right fold because of the way it came down. And you could find a plausible story that beats you one or two times. I don't. I don't disagree with the fold, even though you would have won. That's results oriented. I bet you if you put that in the advanced poker training uh, dot com uh, algorithm and play it over a thousand times, this doesn't happen very often. Right. Exactly. Unbelievable. Uh, nine nine hundred eighty of those a thousand times, uh, it's going to be the right fold. So. Well, the good news is that he only lost thirty one on it and then didn't cost him a stack. The bad news is that if he had called and tried to make a bad call. Um, or a loose call that he would have won a ton of money. But uh, you know what? He's still on the show, and he's on again next week, so that's got to be rewarding itself. Absolutely. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.